0: Good morning everyone, uh, a warm welcome to the DBC. I hope each and every one of you are keeping well and in good spirits as we continue to live through this season of social distancing and lockdown. Uh, this morning uh, we're at the final segment of our Like Jesus series, which we've been engaged in since uh, mid-January. And as a reminder, the series is focused on what it is to follow the example in teaching of Jesus in our daily lives. In this final uh, segment this morning, we're going to look at what it is to build like Jesus. And to explore this concept, we'll be reading from Matthew 7, verses 21 to 29. So that's Matthew 7, verses uh, 21 to 29. So if you can turn to your Bibles or or find it on your, your electronic app. So the passage says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, bid them proph- to prophesize in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name. Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, the rain fell, The rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these words, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. So God God bless the reading of his word. And and whilst it might not be immediately obvious, that section of scripture provides a blueprint for your salvation. It's that important. Uh, Within that passage, it outlines the conditions that we need to satisfy to receive entry into God's kingdom. And it details how we should live our life in service to the Lord. And as a consequence of that, to be honest, it's been a really testing passage for me. I've been left feeling really convicted and really challenged as I've considered the depth in my own faith uh, and my own obedience to God. And in light of that, I've got one goal this morning and that's really to impress upon you and you need to consider whether the foundations of your own faith are built on solid or soft ground. And in considering that, then perhaps you might feel as challenged and convicted as I have been as i prepared this message. If you turn to me together, friends, to verse 21, we'll just look at that uh, and we'll, we'll dig into that somewhat. So it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So before we get any further in the passage, I think it's really important to give context to the two key terms in that that verse. So what does Jesus mean by kingdom of heaven and what does he mean by the will of my father? So the kingdom of heaven, that that term appears over 100 times throughout all the four gospels and it's a central theme throughout Jesus' ministry. The expression of kingdom of God is also used but both terms are interchangeable and essentially mean the same thing. When Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven, he, t- he described it in many different ways. If you look at Matthew chapter thirteen, verse thirty-one, he refers to the kingdom as a mustard seed. In verse thirty-three of that chapter, he compares it to leaven or yeast. A little later on, he describes it as treasure, and as a peril merchant. And in verse forty-seven of that chapter, he, he refers to it as a fishnet. And that's by no means an exhaustive list. He uses uh, many analogies, many metaphors to to describe the kingdom of heaven. But what did he mean? You know, what does he mean by that, that term? And to put it simply, the kingdom of heaven just refers to God's rule or reign. To be clear, he's not talking about a geographical location or a territory that you can visit. Neither is he referring to a particular group or a race of people. The kingdom of heaven is just God's sovereignty his rule and his dominion over all things seen and unseen. So if we look at the will of the Father, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must be prepared to live under God's rule and God's sovereignty. Within this verse, Jesus clearly tells us that the keys of the kingdom are only given to people who are prepared to submit themselves to the will of his Father. And you'll note he doesn't say the will of your Father. He says the will of his Father. And in doing that he's claiming a unique relationship with god to emphasize the authority of his statements and whilst he's not formally announcing his divinity he's intimating that it is jesus it's him himself who will be your final judge so to enter god's kingdom to to step forward into the kingdom of heaven it's necessary that we cease our rebellion that we repent from our sin. And we submit ourselves wholly and fully to God's authority. We must be prepared to surrender all of who we are and what we are to him. But if we're being honest, if we're being really candid, how many of us this morning could say that despite our professions of faith, we've surrendered our lives completely to God? When you search us all, can you truthfully say that you lead your life wholeheartedly for Jesus? And if the answer is no to that question, which it is for me, then that should be a concern for you. Because if we look at verses 22 and 23 of the Smallness Passage, Jesus clearly tells us that though many will proclaim his name, not everyone will be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. Some of us will still be denied. It says in verse 22, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name. Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Both these verses are very sobering and disconcerting. They're highly convicting. What he's saying here is, although many people will claim intimacy with Christ and engage in acts of service for him, on judgment day it still might not be enough to gain access to the kingdom of heaven. This is a warning that's repeated by Jesus at different points in the Scriptures. If you turn your Bible with me to Luke, chapter 13, verses 24 through 27, it says, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able. Once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door, then you will stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up for us. He will answer you. I don't know you or where you're from then you will say we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets but he will say I tell you I don't know you and where you're from get away from me all you evildoers so what is Jesus seeking to teach us here you know in his eyes watch distinguishes those who claim intimacy from, with him sorry from those who don't actually know him and simply put Jesus is drawn our attention to the difference between professing our faith and practicing our faith. In this passage, he's warning us that superficial appearances of faith will not be rewarded by him. Outwardly, we may engage in sharing the gospel, we may lead in worship or other types of ministries, we might take part in Bible studies or corporate prayer sessions. We may do all of these things expected of us as believers. We may do many good works in his name, and we'll still hear the words, Depart from me. So how can we know whether our faith is authentic and pleasing to the Lord, or merely superficial and devoid a genuine love for God and our neighbour? Fundamentally, it points to the inward motivations of your heart. We need to consider what truly drives our actions as believers and within our faith life? Is your motivation to walk with God grounded in the world? Do you merely profess your faith for reasons of the flesh? Are you truly inspired by the word of God to practice your faith and obedience to him? Do you honestly live in a manner that accords with the will of the Father? On judgment day, are you confident that you'll be accepted by Jesus? These are really really challenging questions to wrestle with and they might even be unsettling to reflect on. However it's of paramount importance that we really really examine the motivations of our heart to ascertain whether our faith is rooted in the world or rooted in the word. How is it our hearts might become corrupted and laced with self-deceit concerning our own faith? Within sociology there's a There's a concept known as impression management and this theory suggests that we're all social actors who consciously or subconsciously attempt to control other people's perceptions of us during our social actions. And how we do this is that we perform social roles, we've all got social roles, we're all parents, we've all got jobs, we're we're Christians, there's lots of social roles that we, we undertake. What theory suggests is that we'll set out to do these things in a way that's most likely to get us attention, approval, acceptance, praise and validation. And when we embark on these kind of social performances, we do it in a way that hides and obscures who we truly are from other people and even sometimes from ourselves. You know, our sole motivation to be the best mum, dad, baker, nurse, teacher, Christian is purely to maximise the chances of getting positive other, uh, feedback from other people with the sole goal of enhancing our self-esteem and improving our personal identity. We want other people to be pleased with us so that we can feel pleased with ourselves. And as Christians, I, I think there's a risk we, we can engage in this process of impression management in our walk with God. It can be so easy to tell ourselves that we're living for Jesus, but really just be acting out a script. We can carry an image in our mind about how a Christian should behave, think, act, and speak, and easily just slip into that role, believing that we're being obedient to God, but really in our hearts what we're seeking to do is just to gain attention, acceptance, and validation in the eyes of those we value in order to prop up our self-esteem and our self-image. On the surface, we may say, Lord, Lord, but our true motivation in our walk of God is to glorify ourselves and not him. Underneath the mask of religious observance lies a heart very much grounded in the world, and a faith built in a house of sand that's just easily washed away when troubles arise. So how might we slip into that role? I recently started reading a book by John Piper called God and the Gospel. And in the opening pages of that text, he says it suggests that a major, a major stumbling block to leading a Christ centre life is a cultural conditioning around the nature of love. And Piper suggests in his book that growing up we learn to equate feeling loved with what he calls being made much of. In other words, in order to feel loved, we demand attention, acknowledgement, recognition, and validation. And the more that we receive, the more loved we feel. And as a consequence, we come to rely on the world, eh, to tell us that we matter so that we feel loved. And if I reflect upon my own life, I can see the truth in what Piper's saying. We were in the past, I've done lots of good deeds, eh, carried out lots of acts of kindness. And to the people who witnessed this, they would have seen, eh, you know, their, their perception of me would have been, oh, he's a decent guy, he's compassionate, He's kind-hearted. But often I did these things, not because I was seeking to help the individual, I was actually seeking to help myself. You know, I was motivated by my own needs and not the person that I was helping. You know, the main motivation in that is, as Piper puts, it was for me to be made much of. Hidden within the good works was a desire for positive feedback so that I could develop an identity acceptable to other people and myself. Truthfully, it was all a performance just designed to get positive feedback from the world. It was self-love masquerading as love for others. And as believers, I think we can easily fall into the same trap. We might act out the role of being a good Christian in order to elicit positive feedback from our peers. However, to live in that, that way is to believe that your salvation rests in the self and not God. You're therefore living for self- glorification and not God's glory. And to do that means that you forgo an identity rooted in Christ for an identity rooted in the world. And this is why Jesus refers to people who follow this path as lawbreakers. We've abandoned the will of God for our own self-will and glorification. If you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 we read the words of Paul who says nevertheless God's solid foundation stands firm bearing this inscription the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who calls in his name of the Lord turn away from wickedness what I take for that passage is that Jesus knows your heart he knows who are his you know Matthew 25 verses 31 to 36 we're told that Jesus will separate The sheep from the goats and those who have not followed the path he has set will face eternal punishment. It's therefore critical to reflect upon the motivation of our hearts as we live and serve the Lord. What truly motivates you in your faith? Is it the world or is it the word? Are you seeking to boast in yourself or are you seeking to boast in the cross? Will you be considered a sheep or a goat in the eyes of the Lord? tough tough questions but things we really need to think about. So what can you do, as Paul says, to turn away from wickedness and be assured that you can take your place in God's kingdom? Well the answer is in the next three verses of this morning's passage. Let's look at verses 24 through 27. It says, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell So in these verses, Jesus is indicating that there's two types of believers. There's those who hear the word and act on them, practice these words within their daily lives. And there's those who hear the word and do nothing. Christ describes the doer of the word as a wise man who built his house on a rock. We're therefore challenged by Jesus, not just to listen to the word of God, but to put all we hear into practice in our daily lives. And this to me just reinforces the point that church is not just about coming along and listening to sermons or teachings that just tickle your ears. We're not to fool ourselves just be merely by listening to podcasts, eh, occasionally that we're aligning ourselves with the will of God. Instead, we're charged to put scriptures into practice and lead our lives accordingly. And this is a point which is emphasised in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22. He says, Be the doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So how might we be like Jesus? How might we build like him and be doers of the word? What does this look like as we practice our faith? Well, that's been the the main focus and the purpose of the entire Like Jesus series. You know, to build like Jesus is to love, pray, serve, fast, store, seek, give and guard let him. All of the topics that I've looked at over the last few months are therefore the means by which we gain entry to God's kingdom. The majority of the passages that we've studied during this series are taken directly from the Sermon on the Mount. And within this great discourse of Christ contains all we need to do, to do in order to be counted righteous in the eyes of God and take our place with him in heaven. The theologian Tim Mackey says the following about Jesus' great teaching on on the kingdom of God, he says, Jesus has come to confront evil, especially spiritual evil and its whole legacy of demon oppression and disease and death. Jesus has come to restore God's rule and reign over the whole world by creating a new family of people who will follow him, obey his teachings and live under his rule. So after Jesus begins healing people and forming a community, he takes his followers out to a mountain or a hillside and delivers his first big block of teachings, traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. Here Jesus explores what it looks like to follow him and live in God's kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom where there are no privileged members. So the poor, nobodies, the wealthy, the religious, everybody is invited and called to turn and to repent and to follow Jesus and join his family. Jesus says he is here not to set aside the commands of the Torah or the Old Testament. Rather, he's here to fulfill all of that through his life, through his teachings. And here's the key point. He's here to transform the hearts of his people so that they can truly love God and love their neighbour, including their enemy. The great sermon given by Jesus is direct revelation from God and how we're to live under his reign and under his rule. within the discourse, the principles of God's kingdom are disclosed to us and his righteousness is revealed. However, Jesus makes it clear that obedience to these principles is not evidenced by our actions, but rather by the motives of our heart. And this is evidenced by the promises given by Jesus within the Beatitudes when he says, it's those with a humble, repentant, gentle, pure, enduring and forgiving heart that will be welcome in the kingdom of heaven. But if you examine your heart, can you honestly say that you abide by these principles? that are really tough going. To mirror the righteousness of Christ can seem like an impossible task and discouragement can easily take root when you fall short. So what can we do to change? Well, if you needed a heart transplant you would submit yourself to the expertise of a surgeon and ultimately he or she would save you because you cannot save yourself however the surgeon would insist that you make changes within your life to maximize your recovery they would do the surgery but you would have a part to play you would work in partnership with a surgeon and play an active role in your own healing and your own rehabilitation and in the same way we are fallen people you know we cannot save ourselves only god can transform our hearts through his grace and through his power he will perform the necessary surgery but we are also expected by him to play an active role in our own recovery and our healing and how we do that is very simple but extremely challenging we need to be doers of the Word. it's our job to read listen trust Practice and be attentive to God's Word and the Spirit in our daily lives. Under God's grace, we must train our hearts by following the teachings of the Lord, with diligence, discernment, obedience and passion. We must ask the Father to provide us with all that we need to rehabilitate our hearts, thereby ensuring we take our place in his kingdom. And that's the essence of the promise given to us by Jesus in the Book of Revelation, chapter two, verse seven, and he says, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. So the reward for transforming our heart and conquering sin couldn't be clearer. We get to go on. And there's no greater prize worth having. So in light of what we've discussed this morning I wanted to give some points of application for uh, practicing your faith. So the first one is to spend time analyzing uh, the underlying motives of your heart as a believer. You know what, what is it that really influences your behavior as a believer? Are your motives rooted in the flesh? Are you driven by the expectations of other people or fear of social rejection? Is it a desire for respect or praise that you desire in your heart? Do your motives stem from a desire to know God or obey Him? Maybe your motives are mixed and fluctuate depending on different circumstances. But Really, really take time to identify where your motives are, whether they're rooted in the world or whether they're rooted in the world. The second point, as I've mentioned in the message, is to be a doer of the word. You know, we need to read and we need to listen to the word, word, but thereafter we need to be applying what we're learning eh, and seeking to do God's will in our lives. Perhaps the most difficult teaching that Christ gave is contained within the Lord's Prayer. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. So hard to align our lives with the will of God. But we must train our hearts to chase after the righteousness of Jesus and be obedient to the will of the father and as part of that process i would encourage you to revisit and review the passages that we've covered during this Light like jesus series and pray into them asking that god would sanctify your heart and free you from sin and just as a reminder the passages we covered are love like jesus was john 4 verses 1 through 42 To pray like Jesus was Matthew, chapter 6, verse 5 through 15. To serve like Jesus was Mark 10, verses 35 through 45. To fast like Jesus is Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. Stole like Jesus was Matthew 6, verse 19 through 24. Seek like Jesus, Matthew 6, verse 25 through 34. To pray like Jesus, part two was Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. Give like Jesus, Matthew 6, verse 1 to 4. Seal like Jesus, Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6. And lastly, guard like Jesus, Matthew 7, verse 13 through 20. I'd really encourage you to go back and revisit these, these passages, read through them, and ascertain where we could make changes. All of these passages contain the solid ground in which. Jesus tells us to build our faith. Just a a final point, just to give a note of encouragement and ask not to be too hard on yourself. You know, we're all fallen people and we're all far from perfect so it can be easy to feel discouraged, despondent and guilty when we fall short. You might even think, what is the point, I can't change. And if you do feel that way, I would really, really encourage you to dwell on your justification. Remember we cannot save ourselves, that's why Christ died on the cross for us, it's he who has purchased our salvation, there is nothing you can do to redeem yourself under God. But because of your justification you can be confident in your sanctification, you know therefore I would ask you to be confident and be hopeful that with God's help in taking responsibility for yourself and personally persevere. You can become ever more Christ like in your walk with God. And then finally, just to end this morning's talk, I just want to reach out to anyone who may be new to Christianity or even joining us at DBC for the first time. Just to say the root cause of your pain and your suffering and the experience, all is experience in life, stems from the beguilement of the human heart. We give all our energy and all our time chasing after mirages or meaning. Hope and salvation which ultimately leave us feeling dissatisfied, lost and hopeless and as a consequence of that we feel restless, spiritually hungry, desperate for meaning and purpose in our lives and I would say to you Jesus came to free us from that confusion and fill the void that we all sense and we all feel but we can never really find relief from within the world. This is what he meant when he said I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth in life. I would therefore urge you to place your trust and place your hope in Jesus. And you can do this right now by using the interactive platform within our website. If you just click on the chat function, we would count it a blessing to discuss this more with you. And if you feel led, please get in contact. Please click the button. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, eh, we give thanks for our time together this morning and that we can come together to glorify your name. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work within our hearts this week and beyond and that you would minister to each of us and how we need to change and grow as followers as Jesus. Father, I pray that you would sanctify our hearts and give us the wisdom and courage and strength needed to change, Father. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.